Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Come on. Hallelujah. Again, we're not here to do religion. Can I hear a good amen? That was about three of you. Can I hear a good amen? Come on, I know you can praise better than the young people. Come on, somebody. I mean, I, I, I just don't. Come on, one more time. Give some praise. Come on, give him some glory. Give him some glory. Amen. He's worthy. Man, I see that. that what do they do at those youth camps? Lick the floor. I mean, if I had to lick the floor, I'd need help to get back up. Come on. So, and anybody else? Can, can three or four people help me get, get me back, uh, back up? You know, I'm, I'm at that age now when I'm tying my shoelaces. I, I, when I'm down there, I'm thinking, is there anything else I can do while I'm down here? Come on, somebody. It's just I'm, I'm getting a... We're, we're, we're just, getting, we're just getting older, and so, um, but they're crazy. It's exciting what they're doing. Now, we've got 300 kids here. Last week, we had another, uh, well, close to 400 up in uh, Auckland, and again at the end of this camp, another one's going on in the South Island with another couple of hundred uh, kids. So it's pretty exciting what God is doing throughout the nation. And again, to have a part of that, Kyle and Grace sort of spearhead that through the nation. And so it's just so good to see young people in love with Jesus. They could be in the pub, but the club, but they've chosen to be in church singing, hallelujah, glory to Jesus. And that's pretty exciting. About four of you excited about that. Come on, somebody. That, 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 that's good. That's good. Should we be pumped about that? And, and plus, we, we don't have to look after our kids this weekend. Amen. Hallelujah. So we had a good time. How about you? Come on, somebody. Part two. Part two. I, I, just a big kia to those who are watching and joining us online uh, at uh, Connect Church. We're so glad that you are tuning in and listening via podcast or video or however it is. Church, can we give a big hello to those who are doing that? So I'm doing part two today of when evil touches us. So this is when evil touches us part two. And today we're going to be looking at the intellectual or philosophical problem of evil. This is something we touch every few years, but I think in the light of what's happened in Christchurch, it's important that we speak about it today. And so we're looking in that. In part one, we looked at the emotional problem of evil, and that is online. If you missed it, you can go and uh, watch it because we dig a little bit deeper there. But I said in part one, the emotional problem of evil. The reality is the emotional problem of evil is the thing that we as human beings, as as people probably struggle with the most. It's, it's, we don't struggle with so much the philosophical. We might think about it, but the real struggle is the emotional problem of evil. When evil comes close to us, when it gets near to us, that's when it affects us the most. What happened in Christchurch, of course, is and uh, was pure, unadulterated, Evil, but the truth is, and I explained that last time, is that stuff like that, the truth is, happens every day, almost every day, pretty much, in some part of the world, and it doesn't affect us. I mean, there's terror stuff going on in the world, different parts, and it doesn't affect us. Not because we don't care, not because we're unsensitive. The fact is, it doesn't affect us because it's not close. It's not near to us. There's no emotional connection to that. We're emotionally uninvolved. And I, can I just say, I thank God for that. Because you, you, you imagine, you know, we, we have that saying, you know, maybe your mum said it to you. Or so, so, oh, you look like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. 
You imagine if, if we were emotionally involved in every tragedy and every struggle and every battle and the weight and the full impact of that trauma was something we had to carry. We would be crushed. I praise God that he's made it that way, that we somehow can adjust and, and, and shut out and, and, and clear the decks of things that would, would overwhelm us and crush us. We get affected by what comes close. When evil comes close. And that's what happened in Christchurch. Evil touched us. It touched us as a nation. It touched us as a, a people. When evil comes close, when it comes near, I, 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 I feel and experience it differently. Evil becomes not merely an intellectual or philosophical problem to debate. It becomes an emotional thing I experience in my life. And that's why that is what most people have a hard time with. That's what most people struggle with. I mean, think about it. This, even this last couple of weeks, I, I, maybe you're aware, maybe you've seen it. On the news, the, the road toll has been horrific in the first end of March and uh, first week of April. I've got a photo of uh, some of the people who uh, have lost their, their lives in that road toll, if you can bring that up. Now, we, we, we look at that and we, we don't, this was in the Herald and we don't know these people, but 26 people lost their lives. And maybe you, maybe you heard about it on the News, maybe you saw it. They did little snippets about it. I mean, one family lost five members of their family, mom, dad, and the, and the kids. It was absolutely horrific. But the truth is, unless you personally know those people, really, you might have heard about it, but then asked, what's for lunch? Come on. Because we're not emotionally connected to those people. It allows us to move, move on. But for that family of five, their families, their whole life has changed. Their world has changed. Why? Because it's close to them. I saw a stat this week uh, in a little clip on Instagram that said, what caused the most deaths in 2018? And it was a photo of a Abortion stat, I don't know whether I think they possibly have that here, but the biggest killer in 2018 was not HIV AIDS, wasn't smoking, wasn't cancer, it was abortion, 41.9 million babies. We haven't given that a second thought. It's not keeping us up at night. Again, not because you don't care, not because you don't feel it, but we're not emotionally involved. See, with Christchurch, the problem of evil is intensely personal. There is now an emotional component that, that these, these losses, these deaths in that, that affected our nation that is not there with all these other tragedies and things that are going on in the well, it has come close. So of course, people walking through pain like this do not need an intellectual answer. They don't need a person who's going to theorize. They need a person who's going to empathize. People need, and when they're struggling with evil, I sat with someone who lost their son to suicide this, 
this week. And, and listen, listen, it is not my answer that makes the difference. It's my presence. It's will you sit with me? Will you hang with me? So I want to encourage you, if you missed part one, watch it online because we dig into it a little bit deeper. But setting emotional stuff aside, let's talk for a few moments about the intellectual or philosophical problem of evil because it is a problem. Remember, the existence of evil, of course, we said last time, is not a Bible problem. The Bible has no problem, one, saying that God is good, and two, that saying that evil exists. I mean, the Bible has no problem with that. The Bible doesn't see them as a contradiction. However, it is a philosophical problem. Uh, the question really is this, how could a good God allow evil? How could a good God allow evil? The philosophical problem being either God is all-powerful, either God is all-powerful but not all Good and therefore allows pain, suffering, and evil and does not stop it. Or God is good but unable to stop evil, which means he is not all-powerful. Therefore, if he's not all-powerful, he is not God. And so basically the question is, if God is good, why doesn't he stop bad stuff? Why doesn't he stop evil? And I think that's a fair question. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the famous Narnia series, who was a renowned atheist who converted to Christi, Christianity as he wrestled with this problem of evil, which is probably the second most asked question, the first being, why am I here? The second most existential, or whatever you call it, question is, why is, if God is good, why is there evil? So as a renowned atheist who converted to Christianity, he wrestled with the problem of evil. And he came to this conclusion. He, he said, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But then I thought, how have I got this idea of just and unjust? Where did I get that idea from? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of what a straight line is. See, how, how can I know when something is crooked unless I know what straight is? I, I, I need to see and know what is straight before I can call something crooked. He said the shadows prove the sunshine. There can be sunshine without shadows, but there can't be shadows without sunshine. He thought, what, 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 am I, what was I comparing this universe with? What was I comparing this universe to when I call something unjust? He, he was saying, if I, am, if I am saying the universe is crooked or wrong, how do I even know that? How do I know what is straight and right? How do I, to, in order to say that something's crooked, I must know what is straight and right. So understand today, the problem of evil is not only a problem for the theist. The theist is someone who believes in God, like you and I would say most of us here. We would be fierce. 
People who believe in God. It, but the problem of evil does not only pose a problem for us who are theists, it also poses a problem for those who are atheists. People who do not believe that there is a God. What C.S. Lewis realized was that as an atheist that he had to steal from God in order to argue against him. What do I mean? Simply this, if there is no God, evil doesn't exist. It's just plain. It's just simple. If this is all there is, the material world, all that we see, if there is no God, evil doesn't exist. There is no such thing as evil, just opinions, just preferences. See, here's the problem for, for the atheists. Here's the problem that they must con, contend with is that when they say that evil exists, the problem is they are appealing to some type of objective morality outside of themselves. When they're saying the line is crooked, they're appealing to something out there that's telling them the line should be straight. They're actually appealing to some sense in us and in you and in the innate in all of us, of a real right and a real wrong. When they say evil is bad, what do you mean? They're appealing to some sort of moral code that's inside all of us. They're saying this is wrong, this is unjust, and the question back to them is says who? See, this is a real predicament for the one who says there is no God because for, for the atheists, they're somehow stuck in the middle. On the one hand, they say there is no real right or wrong. There is no real truth. This is all that there is. There is no real right, no real wrong. You have to ask them, of course, is that right? If there is no real truth, is that true? It's a self-defeating statement. Either it's true or it isn't true. Because if there is no real truth of that statement is true, then at least one thing is true. So atheists get caught up in the middle on the Christopher Hitchens and the Richard Dawkins. I had the same thing saying we're dancing to our own DNA and this is all that there is. The material world is all. What you see is what you get. There is nothing, nothing more. Yet these same people are quick to point out the evils of the God of the Bible and other gods and quick to point out how bad the God of the Bible is, quick to point out how evil exists in the world. How can they be? Go look at all the evil. What are they talking about? How can they even say that? Because you can't have it both ways. Either evil exists or it doesn't. And if evil doesn't exist and, and it's all just an illusion and the material world is all that there is, we need to stop complaining about evil because it doesn't exist. We need to stop complaining about the evil people have done because they haven't done any. There is no God. They have not done any. There is no right or wrong. Just preference. Just opinions. 
people are just dancing to the tune, as Richard Dawkins says, of their own DNA. And so if an atheistic worldview is true, which is kind of weird when they believe there is no real truth, all behaviors are just a matter of preference. But understand this, if evil does exist, and we know it does, if evil does exist, the atheist has an even bigger problem in that the existence of evil does not negate, rather it establishes the existence of God. It establishes the existence of a moral God. The existence of God, the existence of evil proves rather than disproves God. In other words, the atheist has to steal the idea of objective morality from God in order to argue against him, a self-defeating argument. So the problem of evil is a problem for the atheist as much as it is a problem for the one who believes in God. So for the theist, for, for, for people like you, and I, we, we, who do believe that there is a God and therefore we too must wrestle with the problem of evil, but from a different perspective, from a different angle. We must look at how the idea of a good God, how evil can exist with the idea of a good God. We have to wrestle with that. How, if God is good, how can evil exist? How, how can there be evil? St. Augustine, who was one of Christianity's great theologians and philosophers, he, he also wrestled, as I guess everybody does, when you think about the deep things of life. And so he is one of the great theologians and philosophers of Christianity, wrestled with this, and he asked this question. He said, Number one, if God created all things, if God created all things and evil is a thing, therefore that means that God created evil. That's the question he asked. If God created all things and evil is a thing, therefore that means I conclude. That God created evil. And then he asked the question, if, if God is good, how or why would he do that? Why would he? I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. If God is good, why would he do that? And again, as he wrestled with this, he, he realized that his second premise was false. And that made his third premise or his solution that God created evil wrong. So he thought this, he said, and, 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 and pay attention because it's so important you, you get this. He, he thought that while evil is real, evil is not a thing. Evil is real, but evil is not a, th a thing. Evil doesn't and can't exist on its own. It can't. It can't exist by itself. Evil only exists as a lack or a deficiency of a good thing. Just as cold 
cannot exist by itself. Cold, understand, cold is not created. Cold is merely what? Cold is merely the absence of heat. So cold is not created. It's, it's merely the absence of heat. What do I mean? Uh, simply put, an, put the, another way, it says this. If you take the rust out of the car, you have a better car. If you take the car out of the rust, you have nothing. I'll just say that again. If you take the rust out of the car, you have a better car. If you take the car out of the rust, you have nothing. If you take the cut out of your finger, you have a better finger. If you take the finger out of the cut, you have nothing. And in other words, evil only makes sense against a backdrop of good. We can say something is crooked only when we know what is straight. David Watson said this, it's worth noting that suffering only becomes a problem when we accept the existence of a good God. That's when it becomes a problem because if there is no God, there is no evil. And think about it, when we, when we use words to describe evil, we, we many times use negations of good things to illustrate something's bad. For instance, we will say something is unjust. Unjust. In other words, we know what just is and this is not just, it's unjust. We, we will say things like, this is unfair, because we know what fear is. We know what's fear. This should be fear, and this is unfair. In order to know what is unfair, you need to know what is fear. In order to know what is just, or what, sorry, in order to know what is unjust, you need to know what is just. We, we, we will say things like, you have been dishonest. In other words, we know what honesty is, we know what truth is, and you have not aligned with that. You have been dishonest. You've dissed it. Come on. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that evil can't exist unless good exists. It can't. To know what is counterfeit, you must know what is real. Otherwise, you have no way of telling. The shadows prove the sunshine. There can be sunshine without shadows, but there can't be shadows without sunshine. In other words, there can't be good. There can be good without evil, but there cannot be evil without good. I'll say it again. There can be good without evil, but there cannot be evil without good. For only when we know good can we determine what is evil. C.S. Lewis said, evil is just spoilt goodness. It's just spoilt goodness. But then the question is, how could God allow evil then? Why did God allow evil? And of course, in the traditional Christian worldview, the Bible 
The Bible teaches that when God created mankind, Adam and Eve, he created them perfect. They were, they were good. Man was not created evil. Genesis 1 verses 26 through 31 tells us that, that, that the, the creation was good. It was very good. But God created man with the ability to obey or disobey God. We call it, of course, free will. The, ab the ability to choose freely. And knowing our story, the story of man, we chose to disobey God. Adam chose to disobey God. Eve chose to disobey God. In Romans 5.12, it says, sin came, sin came, it entered, it came into the world through one man. Ladies, you're off the hook. Come on, somebody. Talking about mankind. No, you're not. Sin came into the world through one man. And of course, some will say, why didn't God make it so we couldn't sin? Why put the stupid tree in the garden? Why didn't he make it so, so, so we couldn't sin? And he could have. He could have made it like that. Then we would be machines. Then we would, we would be like robots. The, the truth is that love must be expressed voluntarily. If we're to love God. I know my wife, she's like, tell me, you love me. If I was like, I love you. How many know it's not going to work? Come on, somebody. How many have tried it? It's not going to work. And no, it's just like, it's just, I, I want to feel love to be truly love must be freely expressed, not forced. Love must be truly expressed voluntarily. If it's not given freely, it's not love. And J.B. Phillips said, evil is inherent in the risky gift of free will. That's the, that's the problem with, with, with the ability of giving us the freedom to choose good. We also have the freedom to choose evil. To choose wrong. Because we have the freedom to follow God. And every week I get up here and say, would you give your life to Christ? But we all have the freedom here to say no. I do not. Would you follow him? Because you have the freedom to follow him, you also have the freedom not to follow him. Why? Because you're free. We are free beings. Evil is inherent in the risky gift of free will. Because we have the freedom to follow God, we also have the freedom to reject God. Because we have the freedom to love God, we also have the freedom to hate him. Because we have the freedom to do good, we also have the freedom to choose evil. Because we have the freedom to choose life, we also have the freedom to choose death. This nation's talking about the freedom to be able to do that right now. See, the freedom to follow allows for the freedom not to follow. It's not created, it allows for it. And the exercise of free choice in the direction of evil is what we call the fall of man. That's what the fall 
Oh man, the exercise of free choice in the direction of evil is what we call the fall of man. See, God's desire is what? If you're here today and you don't know him, if you're here today and you're far away from him, if you're here today and say, I wish I could know this God who you are, 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 are talking about. Here's God's desire for, for you. God's desire is that we would freely live for him. He will not force us. He's not saying, follow me or else. He's desiring that you would choose him, that you would give your life to him. And why wouldn't we? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He knows how we work. When God says don't do something, he's not telling you because he's trying to make everything hard for you. When God says don't do something, he does it because I designed you. I know how you work. I understand how everything works. I formed and fashioned you. And your mother's womb, I, I, I thought this whole thing up. So I, if, if you, the Bible is God's instruction manual. You ever tried putting things together without the instruction manual? Come on, somebody. And you want to, and it's just like, where, where does this go? Some of us are trying to do our life like that. Where does the bits go? How does this work? How does life work? The Bible is God's instruction. Come on, I'm preaching good now. The Bible is God's instruction manual telling you how you can do life. So God desires that we freely live for him, but that same freedom creates the choice to freely not live for him. The sunshine makes the shadows possible. Because God has given us free will, free choice. It makes evil possible. And created, it makes evil possible. And that's why I say, and you've heard it me said over the years, that's why it's a little revelation from me. If we, we would live in the right way, when you, you see the word live spelt backwards, live spelt backwards is evil. And so when you do life the right way in the right direction towards God, you, you, you live under the blessing. You live. It doesn't mean bad stuff doesn't happen. It doesn't mean you don't, don't go through trials. But I want to tell you, it works the opposite way. When you live against His ways, you bring yourself under the curse. You live your life backwards from what God intended. Evil comes. God did not create evil, but freedom makes it possible. And some will say here today, well, why doesn't God just wipe it all out though? Why doesn't God just wipe all, all evil out? Well, he did. Story called Noah. The heart of man had become desperately wicked on the face of the earth. And so he did, but here's the problem. Then God gets a bad rap. Because then people say, why did he do that? Look at the Bible. Richard Dawkins will say, look at it. He wipes out this people. What type of God is that? And yet, yet, it's like this God's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Look at the God of the Bible who wiped out the Canaanites. He wiped out the Canaanites. How, did he, how, how could he do it? Understand what was going on in the context of that. The Canaanites were offering their children as sacrifices to the, into the boiling hands of Moloch, the idol that was, 
was set up in the valley of Gehenna and, uh, and they would offer their children that which is most valuable and they'd place the live baby on the burning hands and, and literally fry the baby to death. What would you do if you saw such a thing? What would you do? What action would you, would you take? Would you stop it? 41 million babies? What would you do? What will you do to stop it? Will you speak? Will you say something? And yet God, in His great mercy, He was patient. And He waited, but then it came to a place where He said, I'm going to wipe them out. People said, about wiping out? What about... Those people who weren't involved in that. And, and friends, understand this hyperbole here. When, 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 when the Bible talks about somebody being, I'm going I'm I'm to wipe them out of the face of the earth. Understand the language that's used there is not like every last single person. It's how we talk when the all blacks are going to smash the wallabies. Come on, somebody say amen. That's a good play. They're going to smash the wallabies. You know that. It's not going to literally, you've got to understand it's hyperbole. It's like, I am going to take action here. And so that's, that's how it's speaking. So, so, so it's clear from the, 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 the script that not every one of the Canaanites was wiped out because they intermarried and later on and all that kind of thing. But God said, I'm going to take care of business. And so on one hand, people say, you'll talk to people and say, why doesn't God wipe out evil? Yet when He does, we say, what a mean God. How cruel is God? He's damned if He does and damned if He doesn't. Okay, I'm a little bit passionate about this, okay? Just a little bit. It's right to be passionate about the word, isn't it? Yeah. I've got to take a breath. <laughs> you know, ultimately. God's desire is not to interfere in man's power to choose, but rather see man. God's desire is to, to, to rather see man give willing consent to choose good over evil. He gives us time to choose good over evil. Every day we're faced with choices. Every day we're faced with situations. Every, uh, every day. Our government right now is trying to control the situation, trying to control evil through its gun things and whatever. They're trying to control evil. But God's desire is ultimately that you control evil from your, from your Noah from your heart because you can take every weapon away but people evil people will, will still find some way to kill you whether it be a stone whether it be a rock whether it be a bat or a knife see the problem is we've we, we've taken God out of our schools we say maybe thou shalt not kill would be a good thing to have hanging on the walls come on an issue of the heart 
an issue of actions. I, I appreciate the heart behind it and the sentiment behind it. But unless people's hearts change, nothing will change. See, God's desire is not really to interfere with man's power to choose, but rather see man give willing consent to choose good over evil. Romans 3.23 says all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. And so when we say to God, why, why don't you stop evil? Why don't you stop, stop bad? Why don't you stop bad things? Why don't you destroy evil? It would mean he would destroy us. For all of sinners, all of us are sinners, all of us. We can look pretty in church. Come on, somebody. But I guarantee right throughout this thing, you've, you've thought bad thoughts this week. Some of you wrestle with lust. Some of you have wrestled with other bad things. Maybe some of you have been hurt by somebody and you haven't forgiven them. It's not just in the last service, even in this service. Come on, someone. And you know that in your nature, that why do I do that? Why do I get so mad? That guy pulled into you, pulled in the church car park, and Mason pulled in front of you, and they pulled right away. You always does it. That was just the other pastors. Man, if he, he, he destroyed evil, he, he would destroy us all. But Lamentations 3, verse 22 says this, listen, it says, because of the Lord's great love, he's got a great love, my friend. Because of the Lord's great love, oh friends, does God love me? I want to tell you, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Thank you, Jesus. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not, you are not, I am not consumed for his compassions. Listen, never fail. They are new every morning. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that because I mucked up yesterday and I'm glad. Come on, somebody. That is compassion. That is mercies. Are new this morning. I'll be new tomorrow morning. They are new every morning. Every morning. You can get up. Stop carrying the weight of yesterday. Stop carrying the problems of yesteryear because it's a new day. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. He has set me free. It's a new morning today. It's a new day. Oh, I stuffed up yesterday. Doesn't matter. It's a new day today. Great is your faithfulness. When I have been faithless, you are faithful. love you Jesus well I hope that's helped somebody today evil exists because we understand what good is we serve a good God we serve a God who loves us who's for us desires the best for us. And He's created a world in which we have the freedom to choose. He doesn't control us. He doesn't, he doesn't say, right, you, you, you're a robot. But no, no, you have the freedom to choose. And so as we come to the end of this service today, maybe you need to choose Him.
Maybe you have been walking your own way. Maybe you have been doing your own thing. Maybe you have been living however you want, but you've realized. I've been living my life backward. And evil has resulted. The word repent means to turn around, move in the opposite direction. Maybe if you've realized the evil has resulted, maybe it's time to repent and turn in the opposite direction and start to live for him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here today, we're going to in a moment say a prayer. The prayer is one that just says, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm tired of living my, in my own direction and doing my own thing. Today, I want to submit my life. I choose to follow you. I choose life. We're going to pray this prayer right now. And if you mean that prayer from the depths of your heart, join us together as we pray this. Would you repeat after me? Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me. I change the direction of my life to live for you from this day forth. Today I acknowledge that you are not just my Savior, but you are my Lord. Be the Lord of my life. This I ask.